Once again, welcome to the Alta 4 Podcast. I'm Brandon, and today's show title is In Plain Sight. So, just wondering, have you ever lived with something and never actually seen it? I'm going to tell you a joke, I guess, and it goes like this. So, a woman goes to make roast beef and then cuts it in half, um, because her mom always did it that, that way, and... Her husband asks, why do you do that? And she says, well, my mom always did it that way. So she asks her mom, and her mom says, well, I cut it in half because my mom always did it that way. And so then she goes to ask her grandma, and her grandma says, well, silly, I cut it in half because the whole thing wouldn't fit into the oven. And so uh, the point of that is, right, people sometimes do things and don't even know why they're doing it. Or we observe things, right? And we don't know, we don't really realize the true implications of that activity as we're observing it. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So this all spurned from my writing last week when I was talking about being thankful. And uh, I mentioned that my grandmother was dying. And so I, as I was writing about that, I, um, I just had this feeling that, you know, I was close enough in proximity that I could go down and visit. And so I was getting the urge to do so. And um, this podcast is actually spurned by that interaction that I had that day um, in the hospice. So um, anyway, let's get into it here. Now, if you read my post, then you kind of know the spoilers of what I'm going to say. But I also want to go a little deeper into it today than, than what I actually wrote about. So I don't know the exact years. Nobody is super open about these things, but um, my grandfather is now dead. My grandmother um, will or is dead now by the time you hear this. Um, they divorced in their late in the late 1960s, and I know that because my mom graduated in '69. She was in high school when that was the case, and um, she had one sibling that was already out of the house in terms of graduated from high school, and one sibling that was with her, with her mom, and the youngest boy was w ended up with the dad. And so, um, so it had to be the late 60s, because I know my mom was in high school. She's told me before her and her sister were in high school. And um, I would say that my mother was always the, has been the peacekeeper in the family or the, maybe the, the hopeful one in the family or maybe the one that took less of a side in the family, shall we say. Um, and I say that because meals and holidays that my mom hosted, she always invited both her mom and her dad. And for the most part... Um, they would come so there were there's only there are four kids my mom being one of four three of them being alive now but really only two of them had the gumption and uh, awareness awareness social social sensitivity whatever to be sort of that um keep keep the family together sort of uh mentality and 
And so it was either my mom hosting something or my uncle hosting something who's now been deceased for several years. So really it's my mom or nobody at this point. And, um, and so when my mom would have, you know, Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, any one of those things, um, she would invite both her mom and her dad, like I said earlier. Her brother, my uncle, um, would sometimes would rotate duties as well. And he, as I said, sided more with my grandfather. So that tended to be um, more of a more of not both of them being together in the same place. I think, though, time had a way of healing some wounds. I mean, I won't, I won't say that I remember every meal at his house being without her. I think that, you know, some degree of reconciliation had occurred, and it probably had more to do with um, him being remarried to someone that was more uh, socially aware I would say she was probably the one his wife was probably the one that said invite your mom invite your dad too you know um so anyway that's a long way of saying yes they uh (laughs) they were together at times it wasn't one of those divorced and never seen again sort of situations my mom said that my grandfather always or still loved my grandmother and Um, I don't know. I never saw anything, but then again, I don't know what I'd be looking for in the first place. You know, they were pleasant and cordial to each other. There was no arguing. I'm, I'm assuming that 40 years down the line, some of those hatchets get buried, you know, whether there was forgiveness or not, that's, that's maybe a different story, but at least civility. And, um, So, you know, I never saw it and it was, you know, it was all like social level type interaction anyway. It was show for dinner, have dinner level conversation, leave um, to go home. And that was that. Now, my grandfather, he married in the early 1970s. So he didn't stay divorced for very long. And he's told me some stories about that time, um, the time where... Basically, he he said he gave her, my grandmother, everything, and he started over again with his son. And um, but I think you know, in those days, I don't know if he ever, I don't know if he ever knew how to cook. I never saw him cook anything. Um, it was always my step grandmother. She was my step grandmother from my birth, so. As far as I'm concerned, I never considered her a step-grandmother. I considered her a second-grandmother. But, um, you know, he he would rely on her to prepare all the meals. And then if she wasn't preparing a meal, they were he was going out to eat. So I think in the old-fashioned sense of the word, and he even told me that um, his son encouraged him to get remarried Um shortly you know shortly after the divorce because uh a kid needs a mom (laughs) and we're talking about the uh, world war ii generation in the 70s right so this is uh this is um old-fashioned values here shall we say not not necessarily today's modern values 
So he married her and um, inherited a step family that went along with that. She had uh, two kids and I believe, well, I don't know how they're one of, one of them right now is in her eighties. So they were probably close to, they were probably grown or out of the house by that point. Uh, the other one has passed away, but I don't know that he was that much younger. And so, um, he was kind of a passive person. My grandfather, this is, um, this is kind of his personality. He, he didn't, it wasn't that he didn't want to spend time with us is that he, he didn't want to insert himself in himself into our lives. And so he told me one time, he said, you know, the reason I have a beach house is because I want my family to come and ask me for it so I can see them. <laughs> that was the way that he thought, right? Um, I spent a fair amount of time in my later high school years with him uh, because I, he ended up making an offer that he would pay us, pay me to come and work for him and, um, and learn some things about being a landlord. And I have to say, he told me at the time, I think I've mentioned this before, but he told me at the time, he said, what I pay you is not going to be worth what you're going to learn. And really at the time, I didn't believe him. What he paid me was important to me because it allowed me to build up my bank account and have money to go to school. But in retrospect, you know, being more long-sighted than short-sighted now at this point in my life, that statement was true. He did pay me, he paid me minimum wage, and he paid me eight hours when I generally worked like six, plus he paid for lunch. Um, but what I learned from him was, has been a lifelong skill and value. And so, I would say definitely at this point, what I learned was worth way more than what he paid me. But but anyway, I ended up spending a lot of time with him in my late high school years as I worked with him in the summertime, painting houses and, and swapping out rentals, getting them ready to go and, and that kind of stuff. And so um, he'll come back in this conversation here in just a minute. But um, so so he led his own life. Now, then my grandmother... Um, she, she was always with, with a friend, female friend. I'm not going to name her name, but, and this friend was someone that grew up locally. In fact, um, her parents live, lived, they're dead. They've been dead for 20, 30 years now, but, um, they lived, oh, maybe a mile and a half from my parents and my parents live rurally. So, when you start to get out rurally, um, you know, there aren't that many quote neighbors. You might even say that she was a neighbor. I had met, met her parents before they were farmers from way back when, and, um, were since retired when I met them, but ultimately, you know, she grew up around the area and I didn't know much more about her other than I knew she went to Oregon state university and, and, um, I'll talk about where she, where she was working in a little bit, but anyway, um, uh, they lived in the next town over from, from us when, when I was really young. 
Now, um, I was born in Corvallis, if you know anything about Oregon geography. And uh, they lived in Albany, which is in the next county, next town over, but it's like 15 miles. They're sort of sister cities in a way. And so we would go over there um, when I was young because my mom stayed home with, with us kids, or at least us boys. And um, she would have free time. This was something that we would do. I wouldn't say frequently, but it was definitely something that we would do to pass the time. She had friends in Salem. She would visit people um, that she met locally, and we would play with their kids and so on and so forth. She would visit her grandmother, who was also um, in Albany. And so so we got toted around to these places while she visited, you know, in, in that case, since my grandmother and friend had no kids, we were of course bored out of our gourd. <laughs> I remember it being the first time we ever had diet seven up and this was in the 1970s. Boy, did it taste terrible. Diets come a long way in taste, uh, from where it used to be, but it was really bad. We had that on one of our visits. This is why I bring it up. But my grandmother was employed by the local school district in in one of the grade schools, and she worked in the kitchen. Um, her friend was employed by the U.S. Forest Service. I don't know what her job was, but it wasn't in the field. So she was in the office um, in the Forest Service. But both of them retired when I was very young, um, my, her friend worked, the U.S. Forest Service office was in Corvallis and, uh, it was, I don't know, half a mile from our house. I do remember riding our bikes over there to, to say hi and that kind of stuff when we were really young. And so, um, they retired. I'm pretty sure I was in grade school because we moved, when I was in third grade to Albany, and I believe they had already moved to the coast by that point. So, um, you know, this was already uh, my mom's, at least my mom's side of the family was already, um, I won't say strained. We just didn't visit a lot, even though we were relatively close in proximity. And so, you know, by them moving to the coast and it, we're we're about 45 miles from the closest coastal town but they moved to the south coast which put them at about 3 hours away from us so it took a relationship that was already you know uh patchwork or or light um into something that was a lot more difficult it wasn't a place that we were just going to go on a summer afternoon because my mom was bored of taking care of us right? <laughs> or or trying to just find something to do um and so we ended up you know not seeing them a lot less we we still saw them at holiday events that my mom would host like easter or whatever thanksgiving occasionally on a time or two uh, thanksgiving was usually with my dad's family but i i do remember a time or two where we had a, either a blended one between the two families or one where um, it was just my mom's side of the family. But um, it just made it a lot more difficult to, to go visit. And so 
um, we did go one time to their house and we stayed, I think maybe one night or two nights. I don't remember which, and I'm not even sure why we were there. My parents were the kind of people that needed a reason to do something, right? They weren't just going to go visit somebody for something. There was something else going on that, that one of them wanted to go to, probably my mom, or maybe we were going to go fishing or something. And, and that was something that my grandmother and friend did copious amounts of when they lived at the coast. And so, um, I, anyway, I don't remember why we were there, but the point is, is that we spent one weekend there and that was the only, only overnight I had ever spent with my grandmother. I remember when we got there, it was, you know, it was a reasonably new, it wasn't, uh, an old house, reasonably new ranch house. And we got the tour and, and, in I'm sure everyone's been in a ranch house. The layout's pretty familiar, but essentially it was, you know, here's my bedroom and here's my friend's bedroom and here's the spare bedroom where you're going to, where you're going to uh, stay for the night and the kids, you'll stay on the couch or something like that. Um, and so, you know, it just, it, to me, it was always, here's my grandmother and here's my grandmother's friend. I didn't have anything against it or anything. She was a very nice, the friend was a very nice person. Um, she probably had as much in common with the guys. She was the sort of the purveyor of the fishing and she could talk the hunting and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, never, never any angry or, or, um, aggressive words or or anything she was just always a nice friend and that's that's the way it was um fast forward here just a little bit moving on to christmas break when i was in college i introduced my girlfriend to my grandmother and and uh after it was over she said my girlfriend said my now wife i should say uh said you know, how long have, has your grandmother been out? And I'm like, my face is contorted and puzzled. And I'm like, what? And then she says, you do realize that your grandmother's a lesbian. <laughs> and the truth is, is that, you know, it had never occurred to me before that point. Um, you know, I mean, the show about the rooms and all that stuff. I wasn't that old. I was probably in middle school when that happened. And and this relationship has been around my entire life. So it just seemed normal and natural to me um, without a second thought. Well, um, you know, I didn't believe it at first. I was like, no, that can't be. How come I've never heard of this before? You know, um, but, you know, it, it did plant the seed of doubt, I'll say. Right. Um it was later in, I think it was later in that year or at some point later. Anyway, it wasn't that long because I worked with my grandfather through, uh, different breaks, like not summer break, but, um, he would employ us for two weeks during winter break or I don't think spring break, but it was just a good opportunity to earn a little pocket change, spend some time with him. 
um, and, and all that sort of stuff. But in comes the step relationship again. So my um, step-grandmother had a son that lived in Texas, and he had a son. And eventually, this all transpired about this time, the time of me graduating and all that. My grandfather and step-grandmother moved into a, a 55-plus um, park, trailer park. And they gave the farm to her son uh, because his business was horseshoeing. And so he was going to come up here, start, start a new business, horseshoeing, and utilize the farm as resources. It passed it on along in the family. And there was only one other sibling anyway who wouldn't really appreciate or utilize the farm in the same way. Anyway, his son um, got the same treatment. So a lot of the grandkids got the same treatment. Um, so he started coming to work uh, just a way to make some pocket money as well. And he was asking my grandfather about why and how and all that stuff about how they got divorced. Well, my grandfather didn't really want to answer that question in front of me, but he finally did. In fact, he even said, you know, I don't want to speak about his, my grandfather, grandmother in that way, you know, negatively or whatever. And I, I appreciate that, you know, he was being um, appropriate about it, but he finally did. And he told a few stories. He didn't really go too in depth and it wouldn't surprise me if, um, Maybe there was more to the story. I'm sure there was, because I'm sure this didn't happen just overnight. But and and it just didn't. The conversation just didn't occur around me. But he finally did. He said, "Well, you know, my grandmother was running around with all these country club women." And he said, "Well, I, you know, we had a Cadillac and we had all the." He didn't use these words, but trappings of a successful career at the time, i.e., you know, country club membership. She had everything, and yet she just wanted to run around with these, you know, these other country club women, which would be interesting to know who they are now after growing up in that town. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the names I recognize, but he kept it coy, so I don't know who they were. Um, he hinted that my grandmother fell in love with the glamour of the country club lifestyle and what they were doing. You know, what they were doing was being the typical Americans living life on credit and spending more than they were earning and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe they weren't. I don't think my, my grandfather wasn't that way. So not living in that time. I don't know if maybe a good income could afford so many things like that or not, but I, I just, that's the way I imagine it anyway. Anyway, he hinted that she fell in love with the glamour of the lifestyle and, and ran away with these country club women. And that was about all I ever heard about the situation. So I don't know. I think, well, I'm being speculative. I think my grandmother's friend is, is one of those people, but I don't know that for a fact. So, and I never will probably. As I was writing my thankfulness post, I got my, in my head that I should go say my goodbyes. Um, I didn't have anything specific to say. It just felt like it was the right thing to do. 
you know, maybe I love you, maybe no hard feelings about being distant as we were growing up, you know, I was just going to feel my way through it. Um, so when I had talked to my mom earlier, she, she said, well, she's at the, at this particular hospital. And so I called my mom cause it had been two or three days. And I said, we're going to go, I'm going to go visit grandma with uh, my son. And, uh, I just want to confirm cause it would be like them to, oh, well, she died two days ago, you know, or something. Um, I don't think that they, they're just, my parents are sometimes distant with the feelings and emotions. And I think they sometimes project like, um, you know, you weren't that close anyway. So it isn't like I need to call you the minute that it happens kind of thing. And so, uh, I called, I said, well, I just want to make sure that, you know, it's worth going down to visit. Um, i.e. yeah, she's still alive and, uh, didn't hear anything. So we got in the car and then my mom did call and say, well, I'm going down too. And I said, well, why don't I just pick you up if you're okay staying like an hour or so. I said, we weren't planning on spending a bunch of time there, but if you want, we'll give you a ride and we'd like to leave, you know, we'd like to be there about an hour. She said, sure. So, so I picked her up and, um, we went down to this, found out she was also in hospice. So I would have ended up not being able to find her probably <laughs> if we had gone to the hospital. But, uh, when we got there, she was already heavy on morphine. So she wasn't talking much or coherent to any degree. Um, but I know she was there because as I, when I went to leave, I grabbed her hand and I said, goodbye, grandma. I said, this is Brandon. Goodbye, grandma. And she said, goodbye, grandma. You know, she whispered it like over and over and over again. Like this is for real. Right. Um, so I know that she was hearing me. No, I have no idea what the mind state or anything is at that point. Um, or anything, but anyway, I know she was hearing me. That's what I'm trying to say. And when we got there at first, uh, nobody was in the room. Uh, her friend had, they told us at the front desk that her friend had stepped away for lunch. And so we were there alone with her, I guess, alone, the three of us alone with her, uh, for about 30 minutes until our friend came back with my uncle and and his friend and his friend's friend. And it was a regular old party there for a little bit. But um, there turned out to be a flurry of activity about that time, too. The CNAs came in. The nurse came in for another dose of morphine. And, um, and then not long after that, there was someone in a lab, a lab coat. So... Um, I don't want to come off as disparaging and I just want to relay the information as I see it. So I was looking at the doctor and my first thought was, is this a woman living as a man? Um, I, it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter to me. But I, you know, ever since I've had this, this, uh, epiphany, right. That my, grandmother was a lesbian that it was like 
wow, things can happen and you don't even really notice them. So I notice people, right? And I just noticed that this doctor was looked like a man, but sounded a little effeminate, to be honest. Um, as he was talking to some of the other people as they were leaving the room. And so he turned and I was sitting next to her friend on the couch and I saw his name tag said Kyle. Not that that means that anything about gender these days, but um, I was like, well, okay, this is just a, a very metro man, right? Um, and I want to say that, you know, I've never been in this particular hospice kind of setting. I've visited several hospices and they're, um, you know, they're really just sort of marking time. But hospice is really nothing technical, right? It's comfort until the patient dies. And the reality of it is, is uh, this doc, the doctors are simply there to make sure that nobody does anything stupid or adds, or adds any additional harm to the patient, right? They're going to give her morphine until, until she's not alive anymore, basically. And the conversation was really nothing medical. It was just surface level. And I remember I'm asking some questions like, do you have any questions for me? And it's like, no, I mean, I don't have any questions for you. Um, he's like, okay. You know, and, and my grandmother's friend was saying, well, are you going to be here tomorrow? And he was talking about his rotation and blah, blah, blah. And, and then as it looked like the conversation was winding up, he said, he said, all of a sudden he said, you know, you're a real inspiration to my grandmother's friend. And, and she said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I also have a same sex partner and we owe you for what you've done for us. And, and she says, oh, well, you know, kind of bashful and, and then says, well, we have been together for 56 years. And then the doctor says, well, you must've seen a lot of change. And then she says, well, I suppose. And the reason that this moment was so significant is that I had never ever seen anything that indicated that they were in a relationship. I've seen no acknowledgement. I've seen no introduction. This is my partner or my spouse, you know, nothing, nothing in that language. I've seen no outward sign of, of, of affection or anything, only just a really a, deeply platonic relationship. And to be honest, these moments kind of made me, it made me uncomfortable because, um, this was a white lie that never hurt anyone, at least from my perspective. You know, I know that my grandfather had hurt feelings about it. And I know that he had a degree of personal, uh, you know, felt personally about the divorce and, and in that sort of stuff. But, but the reality was, is, you know, at least by the time I came along, this was never intended to hurt anyone, nor, nor did it really hurt anyone. And, um, I, you know, I was not slighted about them sort of being secret in the open, but I also kind of feel bad as like, this is the circumstance that actually busted it 
right? Is that my grandmother is not participating in the conversation, in fact, dying, right? And that some doctor that doesn't have any relationship sort of sticks his foot into the conversation when it's never been one in the first place. Now, I want to say that I think that his sentiment was genuine and, and sincere, but, um, you know, it's it's a little sad, to be honest, that that all of all of the entirety of life would come down to this moment. And I think it's like the moment that we find out when Santa Claus isn't real. We may, we may have suspected the truth, right? Or even knew it in our, or knew it in our gut, but wasn't life just a little bit better before we knew it, right? It's like life was better when we were sort of living the lie in the first place, not finally admitting it. And you know, I don't mean this to say that everyone should live their lives this way. I also don't mean this to say that, you know, people shouldn't be able to have their own true convictions and feelings about things because I think that, um, you know, everyone's going to handle these kinds of circumstances differently. And I guess what I'm saying is, what I feel like is they were handling the circumstances the way that they wanted to handle them. And now those circumstances are not the same. Right. So, you know, I, I guess you might be asking yourself, why do I want to tell this deeply personal story? (laughs) I mean, I guess my, here's my answers to this. And this is really the crux of of why I wanted to put this podcast together today. And the first answer is that I pride myself on my observation and data analysis skills. I mean, that's part of what happens on a daily basis at Alta 4. And this is one of those events that has built it, right? The fact that I was not aware of the truth, even when the truth was literally right in front of my nose for years, right? I was so close to the situation that I didn't see it. And, um, you know, it's not that I didn't see what was going on, but I wasn't mature enough to actually analyze it. That being said, I do also want to say that we need to be careful about our equations when looking at data, right? It's very careful. It's, it's very easy to say that if we, if we use the equation as an example of one plus X equals 2.1, I'm, this is a play on words of, you know, a lot of people like to say myself included, you know, one plus one equals two. Well, if you solve that equation, one plus X equals 2.1, X equals 1.1, not one. Right. And so the total, the total, uh, difference between two and 2.1 are very similar, but not the same. And so just because your data makes you think you have a solid conclusion, you still need to test it to verify it. Right. And that's why I spend so much time talking about things like the scientific method and, supporting data for my conclusions is because if I have an opinion, I'll state it as an opinion. 
But if I'm doing something using the scientific method, I'm going to state this, that my outcome provided with the supporting facts. And so, um, you know, could this have been just as easily a platonic relationship? I suppose. I mean, there's, as far as I know, there's no indication otherwise that, um, that they've been in a married or marital type relationship for 56 years, at least on the surface. And I'm not going to go digging around looking for information because quite frankly, it, it never made any difference. My life wouldn't have been any different whether they were out in the open or not. Um, or whether I knew definitively that she was a lesbian or not. That choice had been made before I was born, and that choice was just fact, right? It was fact that she had a friend, a nice friend, a good friend, a loyal friend, and that she was happy and she was living the way that she wanted it to be. And, you know, I would say that no matter what happened between her and, and my grandfather, or more specifically, her and my mother uh, was of really no consequence as to whether um, I would have a relationship or what type of relationship I would have with her as a 50, nearly 50 year old man. Um, you know, um, I had, uh, uh, being 48, you know, I've had 30 years where I could have changed the dynamic of that relationship if I had so chosen to do so. Um, but I didn't, you know, and that has its probably its own reasons and, and other uh, psychological underpinnings, but it is what it is, right? It, I don't harbor any ill will for it. And I don't think that she does either. Um, I, as I said in my post, I suspect that there's probably some guilt. I suspect that there's probably some, uh, shame or, you know, not, spending most of her life in the, in the, in an era of less than acceptance. Uh, so caution probably to the whole thing, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And I think that, you know, if I had the guts in time, which I don't at this point anymore, then I would probably ask her myself. Um, but the honest truth is, it's not my secret to reveal, nor is it to worry about. So, um, you know, that's really what I have to say about it. And I think ultimately I'm going to leave it right where she left it. Right. And that is however she wanted to handle it. That's how it's to be treated at this point now that she's gone. Um, and so, uh, I, I accept those consequences because that's what, uh, adults do, right? They make decisions and then we, we, everyone else is expected to abide by that. So that's my, uh, story and experience about in plain sight. Uh, you could reach me, Brandon on Noster, uh, not super active. My public key is on my website. If you're a Noster user, and uh, we could get a conversation going that way. Or you can email me, brandon at alta4.co is my email address. 
And until next week, remember to end your programming and do things that matter.